Welcome back, Cal listeners. This is Methodical Millions, episode 34. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. Cal, I figured we'd start the conversation with the elephant in the room, U.S. presidential elections. Did you have a side? What are your thoughts on that? And personally, I'm not very political myself, but I figured it's such a massive event that I would say will impact many businesses in the next four years and onward internationally too, that it's worth at least the conversation. Of course, it's the topic of the moment now. And at the time of this recording, the news just came out the day before. So quite controversial slash topical. I wouldn't say I had a favorite or an expectation of who would win because it swung one way and then the other and then back. So I really had no clue towards the past few days on who was going to win it. But yes, you're right in the sense that it does matter and it can and will and is expected to make quite a big difference in terms of the economy in the United States, how it will affect businesses in the U.S., how it affect businesses in other countries that deal with the United States and on a geopolitical level as well. And it's going to be interesting on how it pans out now that Biden has won the election. However, Donald Trump, I think, has raised a case against it. I don't know how that is going to work out, but for the meantime, it's going to look quite different from where it is right now. What are your thoughts? I haven't had a chance to follow too closely, but at a glance at some headlines I was reading, which I know is the worst thing to do. You should probably read the articles and go to the original sources and fact check. But I think Trump contests everything that doesn't go his way, including the election. And there's a couple of assumptions here, which are that democracy works and that people voted legitimately. Assuming that's true, I think the best argument I heard for why Biden is the tail end winner here and not the immediate winner is that the Democrat side would tend to vote by mail with COVID and the Republicans are more haphazardly standing in polls without masks. So if in-person are counted first, it's going to skew Republican. And that's why we saw some states flip Democratic at the end. and. I don't think the vote count is even done. It's just declared as clearly a Biden-style election. And I don't have enough experience with politics through the lens of business. I will say with car manufacturing, we saw some challenges with aluminum tariffs. And we saw China specifically, Trump impose a 25% tariff. We can talk about the software bans on TikTok and WeChat as well. I think Trump threw that in there too. And I find that part interesting to think about because I'm a huge tech guy. I think software connects people to the world and empowers people and can let you do what you want to do with your time as opposed to listening to someone else tell you what to do and then having just a very direct path that's not really one you want to take. So I know very authoritarian governments like China have been, quote unquote, involved in banning apps and filtering content. And I think... The idea was that if you speak poorly about the Communist Party, I think you end up in jail or disappear or something wild. And I'm super thankful we don't have that in Canada. And government definitely changes how you think and act, no matter how free of a thinker you are. I know it's always the divide of what do you stand for? What are your ideals? But it's a risk judgment. And will you put yourself into harm's way if the stakes aren't that high? What's the point? Just give up the battle and go win the war, I guess, as the saying goes. So it's kind of interesting to think about, but we're not under that style of regime and we don't have to deal with that day to day. So it's easy to kind of put that off to the sidelines, right? Specifically with tariffs, 
a 25% tariff on imported goods from China, for example, will really affect almost every business's margins. There's no company that wouldn't be affected and wouldn't change how they do business. And I think we talked about it before, things like Boeing and Lockheed, uh, government subsidies and If there's government incentives to do business a certain way, whether it's oil subsidies or maybe on the flip side, a carbon tax, so to encourage solar energy or electrification, governments have a huge say in how businesses run. And I guess what it comes down to is it's either the principle of something. So is the government doing something that's good for the world and just, even if it affects your business? So that would be something to stand behind. Or on the flip side, If it's all about the dollars, you always hear of quote unquote special interest groups or large companies paying their way into the law books. So I'm not going to comment on specific politicians, for example, but I wanted to bring up a point about Uber and Lyft. So Uber and Lyft just lobbied to have a law passed in Cali and it was called Proposition 22 for 2020. Have you heard of this proposition, Cal? No, actually I haven't. Yeah, so what it is, essentially, Uber and Lyft spend about $200 million on trying to keep their drivers as independent workers. So there was a law, I think it was called Bill 5. So what's the inherent purpose of a government? It's, some would argue, social safety nets to make sure everyone has an even foot, that no one's taking advantage of others in a nefarious way. But with that said, there was a company called Dynamex, and I've had packages delivered by them. They're essentially a third-party shipping company that I think fulfills a lot of Amazon orders. And I think it grew based on just the need. So with such a huge package volume going around the world, and I'm pretty sure they're around pre-pandemic anyways. So they've been around for a while and Cali passed a law saying, well, these people are not independent contractors, even though you think they are, they should be classified as employees. And the reason for that was, do they pick their own schedule? Do they set their own rates as a contractor? And if those answers are no, you're just conveniently calling them independent contractors and not giving them a livable wage. Or I think the big one is not giving them healthcare. And I don't know how healthcare is where you are, Cal, but I know in Canada, it's a nice idea to say, well, I can go live my life and not worry if I'm going to go bankrupt from one surgery. So how that happened was, I think Uber and Lyft were going to be classified into the same bill. And I'm not going to debate the sides here, but I believe what happened is Uber and Lyft wanted a special classification under ride-sharing apps. So I don't know if it's app-specific or just under the brand of ride-sharing. They got a law passed that proactively locked in riders as independent contractors. And there's some caveats here. I think the bill did propose a minimum wage for them. So it's like a per-mile basis. It's a bi-weekly basis, but they're not classified as employees. So that's the big distinction here. So if you think of the firepower of someone like Uber, if you're worth tens of billions, what's a couple hundred million to essentially protect your future profits and to not cut down your margins? It's an interesting question for sure. You and I aren't in that position to maybe weigh in and say, well, our own businesses are going to be affected by these laws. What decision do we do? Like the cliche, unless you're in that person's shoes or that company's shoes. That's why I think politics itself are very nuanced and I try not to pick sides because there's almost always an argument on every side and it's really hard to resolve two conflicting sides when they're yelling, screaming at each other, protesting, there's violence, there's all this and it's not an easy debate if you don't have two sides that are willing to 
have a reasonable conversation. And number two, one side has to concede and say, well, you know what? You make a good point. Given what we know, you're right. Let's go with the compromise that maybe favors the reasons you mentioned. And we don't have this style of governance where people have reasonable conversations. And I don't know if it's possible with 300 million plus people in a country or more. So I guess we can unpack that. And I think the argument for Trump is that he's an example of someone who doesn't compromise in many ways. And the thing with Trump is that I think he essentially told everyone to stop counting and I don't think that's the mark of a reasonable person who says, well, fair is fair. And again, we can go into conspiracies about whether or not everything was done properly, but I think he's pretty upset about it. And the story is, I just caught a glimpse yesterday. I think Twitter is going to unverify him as a verified person in January once he's out of office. So he's back in the sea of normalcy in terms of having a voice. So couple things. I think Biden's reversing the stance on pandemic, reversing a lot of the executive orders that Trump's coming out with. And it's funny how I'm Canadian. I'm not American. And I know these things and I really don't even look for them. They just show up in the ether of my browsing on the internet. That's how powerful this election is. Someone who really has no interest necessarily in it is still, I was jokingly asking family, friends, coworkers, who are you voting for, even though there's no vote there, but it's definitely a turning point. Cal, what are your thoughts on businesses having a say in governance, in law, especially if it's clearly swaying in their favor for the sake of profits. What do you think about that? If you go into the conspiracies, like you said earlier, there might be something in there. I don't want to delve into that in that sense, but I do think, especially when talking very large corporations, that the entire economy of the world's largest economy is built on, then yes, they do have a noticeable effect on the outcome. In which ways they do help get the results they want is beyond my knowledge, but I do think they do have some influence, perhaps is probably the better term here. Now, some might argue a Biden win would actually help the international trade aspect of it because the tension between, for example, China and the US under the Trump administration was a bit more tense, but it was never completely dead in the sense that there was this four-year term negotiation with China and trying to get what's best for the United States. But I think maybe under the Democratic lead, it might be a bit more lenient with regards to international corporations. But I think Biden has mentioned something about increasing corporate tax. So is that a good or a bad thing for companies and corporations? I don't know. Generally, yes, being taxed more is not something that's attractive. But having said that, just like you, I don't live in the United States. I've been to the United States maybe twice. The longest I've been in the US was for nine days. So it's not like I've been there, but it's such a large economy. It has a global effect and everyone's following it. And it just falls right in front of you on what's happening right there. And it makes you think. So yes, I think it would definitely have a significant effect on corporations, how it would affect their operations, their business, their returns. It's a bit hard to tell with current condition, with the pandemic going on. I don't know if they'll get any breaks. Maybe, maybe not. Perhaps now the stimulus that they've been trying to pass for a very long time, they haven't passed yet between what the Democrats have proposed and what the Republicans are counter-proposing. They haven't came to an agreement, so maybe that might have some influence on some businesses. But I would think that have mostly an effect on small businesses, more so than larger ones. But it's going to be very fascinating. 
I thought initially that the markets would favor Donald Trump, regardless of what ways he was thinking. And I'm not saying it as a solid fact here, because it depends on which perspective you're looking from. But some might argue that he was doing what's best for the United States. Ultimately, that's his job. But the argument is whether he did it in the right way, whether he was approached it correctly in a more proper political fashion or a professional fashion is up for discussion. Having said that, it's clear that he's a bit of a showman in the sense that all eyes is on him. He does gravitate attention towards him. And I think that has a bit to do with how this election maybe had the most attention drawn towards it, because I believe this election had the highest number of votes to ever been recorded in the United States election prior to this. Running up to the election, I think they were saying that this was going to be the largest one in a century. But I think as they were counting the votes, it actually surpassed that and became the most votes in the history of the United States. So it's quite the roller coaster from here. I don't think it quite ends here yet. I'm quite interested to see on how Donald Trump reacts to the results, because as of right now, I haven't personally seen anything yet. But I think it's going to be quite a bumpy ride, even on a corporate level, on businesses, on how they operate in the United States, especially, and how perhaps China, the world's second largest economy and quickly approaching the United States, how it's going to affect them too. Yeah, I think I did hear that too, which is this was the most voter turnout ever. And what was that 150 million, 70 on each side, 75? That's probably half of people. And of course, not everyone can vote in the States. So I don't know what percentage of voters that actually is, but it is kind of interesting how many opt out and don't participate. So I suppose that's the question. A lot of people rallied each other to say, whichever side you're on, One side was fighting, saying, this is the worst president we've ever had. Everyone votes. Your vote matters. I think the turnout, like Trump's got a huge following too. No one can denounce that this was actually a very close campaign. And there's a lot of people who picked the side of Trump. And what does that mean for the health of the U.S.? And that's kind of an interesting psychological experiment, which is how do 300 million people interact and go about their lives? and decide how to get along and in some cases not probably unprecedented amount of protests i mean we are dealing with a pandemic there's so many things going on that make it a unique moment in time but as i always say a unique challenge is a unique opportunity so you have a lot more people working from home less time commuting new chapters in their lives new everything so i guess the question i want to pose is what's the moral obligation of an individual who's smart enough and aware enough to either, I always say compliments are free and share ideas, but I don't necessarily volunteer my time anywhere or things like that. And I guess my question is people at the first level, but what about entrepreneurs? What is the entrepreneurial obligation to give back and help with the government? And I think philanthropy is in itself quite compelling, but what makes it more compelling is Take the smartest entrepreneurs. So you can probably name anywhere from Jobs to Gates to Bezos to Elon Musk and the people who have had multi-billion dollar outcomes. They're not sleeping behind the wheel. They have some idea about what they're doing. So I'm not trying to talk about, okay, let's just steal their money and tax them. But what I'm saying is 
what's their incentive to give back and help the government in a way that they can or they can use their expertise? And I think at the beginning, Trump did commission probably a team of maybe 30 or 15 techie people or CEOs. So I guess just even getting the ear, just like presidents have their own government style councils for different departments. So I'm wondering what kind of moral imperative does an entrepreneur have? And I mean, if you think of the entrepreneur's life, you start with extreme scarcity, but you start with passion and you start with ideas. You start with wanting to change. And I promise you, these are the exact parallels that government talks about and people who want to see changes in government talk about. So if you were to kind of frame it as a government style entrepreneur, that's what activists are. And one may argue that the approach is different because it's not about turning a profit. So there's a disconnect in the analogy there. But why wouldn't entrepreneurs who let's leave aside selfish incentives and buying off bills or trying to lock in profits for the sake of money? I think we'll leave that edge case out. But if we're going to discuss how to make the world better on a political scale, that's what I would say. I would say have entrepreneurs engage with or be more involved from the political side. And especially if They've had outsized returns where they own their own time. They've got lots of money. The companies are doing quite well. And again, maybe it's not the role of that CEO or that entrepreneur, but what's wrong with 5% of the talent pool dealing with corporate governance or getting involved? And how many times do you hear of huge conglomerates doing like a green initiative? And who knows if it's superficial or not, but I don't think people really care. So I'm not talking about that style. Like this is the cool thing to do. Let's set this up, but out of a place of actually wanting to do so. I mean, the power of the human mind, the scope is huge. And time and time again, people prove others wrong by making businesses that others wouldn't believe should exist and they beat the odds. So why is politics or governance such a hard thing to manage? That's kind of the question I'd ask. Cal, what do you think about that? I agree with all of that. You make so many good points. But because I think there's so much complexity in politics, so many unknowns, and even if you're a politician striving to get into the higher ranks and perhaps into presidency, the thing is, there's already a government in place. There are already policies in place. There's already an agenda in place. So even though you have a plan getting into office, I would think perhaps things might change slightly or completely, depending on what perspective you're looking at, based on what's already set in place and what's planned ahead. Because just like entrepreneurship, I think there's a common element here where as an entrepreneur, you have a vision for your company or your business, right? For the plan, for the product or service you want to provide. So you don't look for what it's going to do in a year. You're picturing what's going to happen in five years, 10 years time. And then you work day by day trying to inch your way forward to reach that goal, right? So I think, again, with politics, it has a plan set ahead for 20, maybe 25, 30 years. Who knows how long ahead? But I don't think it's going to be a day in, day out kind of thing. There are times when you plan things on the short term, you have to do that. But you have a big picture. And whatever your motives are, or your intents might be, these things will affect your overall decision. So you might come in and then things might not necessarily pan out as you planned or wanted to. And I think because there's so many, many chefs in the soup, as they say, sometimes it's not entirely your call. Trump might put an executive order, but the House might just dispute it and it just doesn't happen. 
that's perhaps what a democracy is. So it has some similarities, but there are definitely huge differences. And it's way more complicated than I would know for sure. I'm not into politics. I've never worked in a political field. I don't have any intentions to, but it does affect all our lives. And seeing things like what's happening in the United States right now does affect even people here in the Gulf, around the world, in Europe. Like you said, with current situations, there's so many variables. Having the pandemic, incredibly high infection rates in the United States. The U.S. has accumulated the largest debt it has ever seen in its history in such a short period of time. Some argue it's a huge bubble that's about to burst. Who knows? They've been saying that about the debt of the U.S. for a while. But quite a lot of things help feed that, right? With high unemployment rates, even though they're getting slightly better, but GDP numbers are low. All of these things, like you said, there are quite a lot of protests globally, not just in the U.S. So way too many influences to really know what's going to happen for sure. Yeah, it's a good point. At the government level, the system's not designed to take one person's view perpetually and discount everyone else's. So that's why votes matter. I was just thinking of something. So maybe the purpose of the government is to, again, this is maybe quote unquote taken aside, but having grown up in Canada where if you don't have something, access to healthcare or maybe housing and There's arguably a sliding scale to this, depending on where you are in the world, but I think Europe's very ahead of the game with it. The absurdity of U.S. healthcare that it can bankrupt a whole family or the absurdity with one surgery or this absurdity to the point where people won't go to the hospital because of a $25,000 ambulance bill or gunshot wound or whatever it is. And I'm probably screwing the numbers up, but it's definitely tens of thousands. I've seen people post bills online and if you're a good negotiator, that can come down and that is absolutely absurd. Why should one person pay $500 for an Apple laptop and someone pay $50,000? That is an obscene mismanagement of looking after people. And I think that's the essential premise here, which is leaving out the fact that governments go to war and during wartime, there's things like conscription and the common good changes. But in times of peace and prosperity and economic growth, and if everyone gets along and we have an abundance of things, we've got it all locked down where countries get along and there's not scarcity. Why wouldn't governments try and look after those who are falling through the cracks and who don't have access to things? And my argument for entrepreneurs would be, what's the most powerful thing that I always talk about? The internet. That is the key factor that I think will level the playing field in the long term. So maybe it's not the government's job to lead innovation, but not stifle it necessarily and leave it locked in the hands of few. So how do you democratize innovation? How do you democratize the internet? How do you democratize knowledge? And those are the more important things that I think about. So those are the kinds of things that I know will grow the people who wouldn't ever have thought of starting a business who could be around the world in emerging markets and places where you're fighting the odds of your family would say, well, of course, you're not going to be this and that. And I mean, what does a modern kid want to do? They want to be a YouTube streamer. They don't want to be a doctor. And I think the most exciting thing about that is that it gives people a creative outlet to be who they want to be. And one can argue the value of that, but if they can make a job out of it and then go on to build an empire in content media or get smarter or live a more fulfilled life. If we have a net benefit to society where people are smarter, people are looked after at the basic level and people choose to do better and government are the training wheels on riding a bike, 
the people who really excel and get a road bike and do miles and miles of biking, eventually government's not there to guide you the whole way. It's to get you going. And I think that's the essence of it. That's how companies can give back. They can still grow and do their own thing and do well and innovate and all that. But at the end of the day, that's how you keep the democratic process whole and you still have functioning business and functioning government. And for all the people who vilify billionaires, I think that's in its own a personal question, which is how do you be thankful and happy with what you have? Life's not designed to be fair. It's not going to be equal in that sense. I mean, we have it so much better than so many people. I've got nothing to complain about. What's there to complain about? Life's fantastic. And to me, just the inspiration of opportunity and being able to kind of guide my own life, choose my own direction. I think that's very powerful. And I don't look at others. We've talked about it before. Why aren't you better than yourself yesterday as opposed to worrying about how others are on the outside? Because you don't get the whole picture anyways. So everyone's got their own journey in life. The question is, what are you going to do to live a fulfilled life? What are you going to do to make your contribution to be your best self in whatever way that is? It doesn't have to be starting a business. But what does that look like? And I would say, are you choosing your own frame of mind? Are you choosing that place and waking up every day with purpose? That's what I would say. That's how I think about it. Awesome stuff. Like this is the best time that you can really push yourself forward. There was a time that I used to compare myself with others all the time because I just wanted to be the best, but you'd never get fulfilled that way. There's always someone who's going to do something better than you. There's always someone who's going to be ahead of you. There's always someone who's going to be more fortunate than you. We all have this opportunity right now with the pandemic. Really use that time to improve yourself, whether it was education, fitness, reading. There's always some good that comes with the bad. And try to make something out of what you've got. And hopefully things eventually come back to normal if that's ever going to happen anytime soon. But assuming it's going to take a while, which that's what I feel like, then it's time to make something out of what you've got right now. Yeah, you got it. And I would say, forget normal. Things will be better because it's what you decide for your life. If you have that realization that I'm in control, I can decide what to do with my time, with my life, with my future. That's way better if you have that realization, whereas a year or two, maybe you didn't and you're very reactionary and life's happening around you. But go out there, make it happen. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. That was Methodical Millions, episode 34. If you'd like to follow future episodes, you can find us at methodicalmillions.com or info at methodicalmillions.com for episode feedback. Thanks, everyone.